This the remix. He's checking all the boxes, Michael. Yeah, he he really is. Look at that big bubble butt. That's that's a power generator. Those that thighs, quads, and the bubble butt. Offensive linemen love that. The Las Vegas Journal Review. I don't believe any of those statistics. I think it's all hogwash. He's got dancing feet with that lower body. It's unbelievable. Look at the body. Look at that bubble butt. Started off with Tyler Bischoff from ESPN Radio. The groins aren't very good usually. Cocaine isn't cheap. Boom. Sadness. That's the one. Oh, I missed the bubble butt quotes. We need to get one of those. They Listen. The Raiders are probably drafting an offensive lineman. They're probably Ugh. drafting a right tackle. If Mike Mayock does not say bubble butt at some point in this draft process, I am going to be severely disappointed. Can, can I get Tropical Smoothie from both of you if I actually, if he gets a tackle, if I actually raise my hand in the Zoom and say, does he have a bubble butt? Oh, absolutely. We will buy I, Jared will buy you Tropical Smoothie. I will buy you Jimmy John's. Okay. You will. You will be set for a day. If you, if you ask Mike Mayock about an offensive lineman's bubble uh, butt that bu- they just drafted. Oh, oh, man. If you fall, it, I, I also, okay, we'll get you a, a room at the Marriott. Marriott. If, you, uh, if you go and uh, follow up, how would you rate his bubble butt? Oh. Where was he on your bubble butt big board? I just don't think after that question I'd get the crafty wording. I'd probably get the uh, staring, and that would be that'd be against Tyler's. That'd be against Tyler's. You know, uh, no nope. peeve. No, because no. I don't. Because well, I don't think I'd actually write a column on Bubble Butt. So I'd be asking a question. Show. We'd use it on this show <laughs> okay. all the time. Yes. That would be used more than any other question and answer in the history of the Rangers press conference. You know how I rotate the opens? That wouldn't happen uh, anymore. The open would just uh, be you asking Mike Mayock that. How about the response if one of us asked that, like uh, media members and who might not have listened to the show or that cut, if you said that, like their response at home going, what the hell did they just ask? <laughs> The, no, the best part is going to be if someone else listens to that and goes, oh, all right, that's serious. All right, no, I, I better ask the follow-up. They're running to pro football focus. Rank the bubble butts. Where did this guy's bubble butt rank in college football? Rank oh. the bubble butts. All right, so they're drafting a tackle. We think they're drafting a tackle. We got to hear about the bubble butts. That's oh, the yeah. key. Um, now, I do, I do want to go back. So at 7 o'clock, we talked about um, – the Raiders being out of touch, not valuing players like the rest of the NFL does, based on some quotes from Jason Fitzgerald of Over the Cap. But he had another quote that I thought was interesting, and he compared the Raiders to the Cowboys. He said, this has the complete feel of the 2000 Bill Parcells era of running franchises. You run, you run to these veteran players, and the minute that somebody makes a peep about something, you cut it. It just doesn't look like it's going to be successful so ed how would you compare the raiders to the bill parcells cowboy teams of the mid-2000s oh it's a good comparison man i do think it's a good comparison in terms of parcells was one of those guys who loved veterans it's weird about you know it's weird about gruden and how he's dealt with this team in terms of when he came in and tried to clean house and then got young guys and he he loved veteran players but they didn't work out so i think that's a good comparison i had never thought of that comparison but being a cowboy fan and thinking back to the disaster that guy was, um, that's a really that's a really good comparison. I think I think it matches up there in terms of how Gruden and Parcells kind of go down the same roads with things. Is there 
the the idea here of you bring in veterans and as soon as somebody makes a peep about something, you cut him. We have seen John Gruden trade away Khalil Mack and Amari yeah. Cooper. Uh, we've seen him now trade away Rodney Hudson and Gabe Jackson just this offseason. Like, is there any do – you, do you buy into that idea that John Gruden is trading away guys that, you know, say they're unhappy or say something that they don't like to see said and they're saying, okay, well, we got to get rid of you now? Well, if he is, he should start doing it with a lot worse players, right? I mean, <laughs> if you're a third stringer and you're a veteran and you're causing problems, cut him. But you just named, you know, essentially some good players they cut. So I would put up with it a little longer than maybe he has. I don't know. We're not in the locker room. You can just hear kind of reports, second, third hand, that, you know, whether it's Cooper, um, Mac, uh, and, and what they wanted more of. But, you know, at the end of the day, you've asked the question often. Let's go back to all the names you said. It's not like their roster is getting any better as they continue to release guys like that. So, or cut guys like that, or move them uh, and trade them. So, if he's doing that, for their sake, start doing it with a lot worse players. We had we had Dalton Levitt, the backup safety, question the Nevada Health Department because of they think thinks everybody's yeah. got false positive tests. Did he resign that guy? He got resigned. He's, yes. He's the guy in the secondary they re-signed. Of, yeah. all, of all the secondary help they need, they re-signed Dallin Levitt. That's Dallin the Levitt. biggest splash they've made in the secondary oh. this year. So, yeah, maybe they should uh, do it with some worse <laughs> players along the way. Maybe Jeez. give a little bit longer leash to the players that are actually yes. good at the sport and yeah. keep them around regardless of what they've said. Well, and that's the thing. To go back to like the idea of guys saying things and John Gruden getting rid of them, they were keeping Antonio Brown. Like, Antonio Brown was going to be a part of that team for through a lot of crap. They were putting up with a lot from Antonio Brown before they finally actually got rid of him. So, I think there was there's some level of some players. It, could it Okay, could it be as simple as John Gruden feels committed to players that he brings in? Whether he oh, drafted absolutely. him or, or whether he signed oh. him versus players that he inherited like Khalil Mack, Amari Cooper, or Rodney Hudson where, yeah, you guys are good, but... I didn't bring in, so I don't have a commitment to you. I don't think there's any question about that. He believes all the decisions they make are the right decisions. And I'm not saying most, you know, well, I, I you know, Mayock's the GM, but Gruden runs a team. So I'm not saying most people in his position that make the final call on things don't believe that. They all do. I mean, they probably should, right? I mean, if you think you're making bad decisions, why are you in that spot? So... I'll agree with you on that. I absolutely think, as in most places, the people you bring in are going to get longer leashes and, 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 and you're going to put up with a little more. Because what happens? If you move on from then, you're going to get ripped for it, right? You, the the, the criticism is going to go towards you instead of, well, I didn't really draft that guy. I didn't draft Khalil Mack. I think he's an issue now and a problem. I'm going to move him. Uh, I didn't bring in so-and-so. I didn't bring in Rodney Hudson or these guys. So it's easier to move him. Um the guys he brings in, I think, get more of a benefit of the doubt because, you know, they all have egos. And they don't want to look like they were wrong on people. I So the one big outlier to that is Derek Carr, though. True. Derek Carr, is uh, he inherited Derek Carr, and Derek Carr is still the quarterback despite three years with Gruden of not actually making the playoffs, even though we'll all agree it's not Derek Carr's fault they haven't made the playoffs. But very rarely does a head coach and quarterback combo stay together with three straight years of missing the playoffs. Does anyone else think Gruden, when it comes to quarterbacks, has like a Superman complex? He thinks he can save them all. Well, why? How else would you explain Nathan Peters? That's what I'm saying. Is that I think that <laughs> I don't think he's ever met a quarterback that he doesn't go. I'll turn him into something. <laughs>
did it with Gannon. What, yeah. what is he going to do with Peter Man? He's and there's getting- a lot. There's a lot of that. And Jared, you know, this. There's a lot of that in terms of, you know, when the guy's really troubled or has, especially in the NFL. I mean, you, you know, I don't know about Deshaun Watson. He's in some trouble, it appears. But you, you guys, the Cowboys team. I, you know, I, I'm a fan of. Have done this a lot. Where, oh, don't worry, he'll be different with us. Like, don't worry, we'll fix him. We, you know, he, you know, he's he's had all these legal issues, but not with us. There's that, especially in the NFL. That there's no league like the NFL who gives second and third chances if they think the guy can play, no matter what he's done. Yeah. Except that with the quarterbacks, it's just, it's like no, we we've seen it, we've seen him play. There's no need to keep Peterman on the team. Okay, I've got a question about Peterman. I need you guys to try to get uh, inside the mind of Nathan Peterman. Okay. Do you do you think Nathan Peterman believes in himself and will at some point want to actually get a shot to play in the NFL again? Or do you think Nathan Peterman does not believe in himself and is like, as the Raiders are going to keep giving me a million dollars, I'll keep being the third string quarterback here, even though my career is basically over. Oh man. Uh, I think it's the former. I think he still probably thinks he can play much like teams believe they can fix guys. Even guys who aren't any good still think they're good. So if you're Nathan Peterman, why do you keep coming back to the Raiders to be the third string well, quarterback? You you thinking you're good and no one else wanting you is two different things. Okay. So I mean I that, guess. That you think he's great, but no one else wants him. You might as well take the million dollars. But I guess. But like at some point you'd be like, well, let me go, let me go at least try out for another team. And maybe I can be the backup in Washington or something like that. That's kind of a risk still, a risk over a million bucks. I mean, I get, but that that's why I'm saying. So if that's his thought process, then in oh. his mind. He's thinking, I'm not very good. The Raiders keep giving me a million dollars. I'll take it. So oh. I believe Nathan Peterman, and I could, I, I mean, I could absolutely have this wrong, but I believe he has a degree in communication. So maybe he's, the reason they keep bringing him back is because he can speak Grudenese. Is he the translator? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. There's a flaw there. Who talks to him? I've never seen that guy in a Zoom in my life. <laughs> I mean, he might be the greatest communicator ever. We'd never know. I mean, I don't think, I mean, they request a lot of guys out there. I haven't heard anyone say, "Can hey, can we get Peterman today? Because we got to get him. We got to get him on Zoom. Oh, that's because you guys don't let yeah. Jared request White, Hey, no, <laughs> hold on. Don't, don't you, don't, don't you ever believe that I didn't start. Yes. I didn't, like, we just hit a we hit a desert of like me like I, at this point I'm drinking the sand man. <laughs> Jared requested Peterman. We didn't get him. We went directly to the long snapper. We haven't gotten him either. Yeah, I I would love for Jared to be in charge of which players are talking to the media. Oh, because it, oh, it would be, be Nathan Peterman, long snapper Trent, long Sheed, snapper, and like Alec Ingold would be the most famous player that talks to the media. Yes. No, oh no no no. I would literally just be like, all right, who's the goofiest? You, backup yeah. linebacker who's wearing a funny hat. Get out there! Oh. Poor Jared. Jared would get me interviews, though. Yeah, I would get you people who technically are employed by the team. Jared, I need Deuce. He'll call you at 2 o'clock. Oh, Deuce Gruden. Front and center Oh, no, dude. Day. No, you would just get the, the first day of me having the media relations job there would be a piece of paper that I would high-five into your hand, and it would just be like, here's all of Deuce's contacts. <laughs> I told him that you're going to contact him anytime. 
Jared would every day be like, all right, Gruden's up in five minutes, and every day it would be Deuce Gruden instead of John Gruden. Yes. <laughs> Coach Gruden is up in a little <laughs> After after every game, all right, here's the Deuce Gooden post-game press conference. John will not be taking any questions. All will be to Deuce instead. I would also, my other rule would be like, all right, every day someone has a media shadow. <laughs> yeah, the, the players of the team would hate me. They would. Jared Justice. The, the well, Jared Peterman Justice. wouldn't. He'd have more media than ever. <laughs> Peterman would love you. Get an endorsement deal out of it. Yeah, exactly. All right, coming up next, Sam and Ash will join the show. Call Sam and Ash at 702-820-1234 or visit their website, samandashlaw.com. Sam and Ash, because you deserve what's right. 702-820-1234. Here they are, Sam and Ash Law on Twitter. SamAndAshLaw.com. Get there now because you deserve a try, as the gentleman told you. Good morning. How are you guys? Good morning. I'm doing morning. great. <laughs> Good morning, Sam. Guys. Good morning oh, you. I, you know, I'm just enjoying the beat. Yeah. I know this uh, intro so, makes me laugh. It's <laughs> good intro. Rocky's dancing all down the halls. Um, going into a club so, or something. We're uh, we've got some great ones today for you guys, Sam and Ash, uh, and we're going to start with a sports one, and I'm going to bring up Ash right away because I think she's an Orange County kid as well. Uh, at the Angels game the other night, the dreaded cheating. Disgusting Astros were in town, uh, the favorite <laughs> team of my partner here. And as we've, which I think we're going to continue to see as they move across baseball because of their cheating scandal to win the World Series, uh, some fans, one of them might have been a Dodger fan, began throwing objects onto the field. Now, the first one was an inflatable trash can, obviously pointing to the cheating the Astros did on pounding the trash cans in the World Series. The next one, though, was a real trash can with a bunch of water balls in it, throw, uh, water bottles in it, thrown on the field. I've always wondered this because we had a situation here in Vegas with the 51s where a woman was hit with a foul ball uh, off the off a bat, and she had taken legal action, I think, for years. I don't know how it was settled. But when when these things kind of happen, um, who's, who's responsible if people get hurt by these flying objects? I mean, I know in the back of tickets – it says, you know, whatever happens when you walk in, you're responsible for your actions. But are, like, stadiums protected in these instances? Are players protected if things happen like this? Well, first of all, Ed, let's just all be realistic here. These fans are doing the Lord's work. Um, yes, you know? yes. <laughs> um, yes. The Astros deserved everything they got. No, sure. but in all, serious, in all seriousness, <laughs> if a fan gets hurt or a player gets hurt in the course of the game, natural course of the game, um, usually you don't have a, a case you know, for your injury. You know, there are random instances where, you know, if there's an unpadded electrical box and a player runs onto the, and it's on the field and a player hits mm -hmm. it, yeah, they might have a claim against the stadium for a dangerous condition. If a fan gets hit by a foul ball and they're in an area where the, there should be netting at this point in 2021, yes, then the stadium will be responsible. But every time you participate or attend one of these games, you do assume some sort of liability of natural risks of the game. Flying trash cans is not a natural risk of the game. So, um, so yeah, if you're a fan and another fan tries to throw a trash can and they fail um, because they were in the 
uh, Angels Budweiser Tavern too long. Um, yeah, you'd have a claim against them or the stadium, depending on, and, but you'd want to go after the stadium because the stadium has the money. Um, and so, yeah, that's really how these things work out. I'm shocked that any Angels fan was was this, um, <clears throat> I don't know, enthusiastic about it. It was a Dodgers fan. <laughs> Yeah. Well, that's what it, yeah. Oh, there, oh, it was Dodgers <laughs> fan. Well, that yeah. explains everything. L.A. came uh, down whoa, to Orange whoa, whoa. County and shake things up. Yeah, don't incriminate Ed, though. We don't. don't <laughs> we won't. Ed, Ed does, not, does enough of that on his own. So, okay, kind of related to this. At a Golden Knights game a couple years ago, they did a promotion where they had two giant, like, inflatable balls, and they had each side of the arena had to try to hit them around the crowd to the other side of the arena. Well, when they did this... One of them ended up bouncing onto the ice. Now, it was during a timeout, so the players weren't playing, but it actually got stuck kind of in the penalty box and then hit over and onto the ice. If I'm a player and, like, this giant inflatable ball takes me out, breaks my shoulder or something, am I just just screwed because my team tried to have a promotion, or is that something I actually can get out of, or get something out of it? <laughs> Well, those well, are there's actually huge damages, right? You imagine a player being taken out for the rest of the season, potentially being prevented from playing again. Um, yeah, I mean, but but here's here's the thing. I, I think you know it, it, Ashley's right. They're always going to go after the stadium because, or go after anybody who has pockets, because the chances are the fan, you know, does just wouldn't even begin to have the wherewithal to to cover that kind of loss. Um, but so I, I think I think it always, you know, any lawyer's always going to look. To where, you know, who who has the ability to pay and make that right uh, first, and and they're going to see if there's any liability there. Yeah, and Tyler, in your scenario, it's put on by the stadium or the team. That ball ended up there because of the stadium. So there's a real a stronger argument. Um, and then you kind of get into nuances. If it's your own team, is it a work comp claim? If you're an away team, is it like you're suing a different stadium? It's really interesting stuff. Okay, also, you guys have told us to go after the stadium or the people with money. So what's the deterrent of somebody to grab trash cans and throw them on the field the rest of the season? Going to jail. Yeah. I mean, okay. that's a pretty big okay. deterrent. <laughs> and, being kicked out, and being kicked out of these stadiums for life. Banned for life, that's right. Well, if you're a Dodgers fan, you're fine with being banned from the Angels Stadium for life. Oh, no, it could be from but all ML, stadiums. But, yeah, oh. the MLB. You know that story oh. of Dave Portnoy? He snuck into a game once, and now the NFL has banned him from all NFL-related events. Gosh, wow. I'd love to figure out how they figure out who that guy is when he's trying to get in. I know. I mean, it's just amazing. Well, and to that point, you guys know as well as anyone, and I talked about it on the first question, what's on the back of that ticket? People always say, well, yeah, you have a contract, but, you know, a good attorney, they're, they're going to take care of that. And, and you have this thing on the back of the ticket about what your rights are, you know, if you're, you know, if you're liable, how much does that, I think Ash has talked about this before, how much does that really stand up and how concrete is that, that that will stand up in court? It'll come up in cases. Oh, sorry. Go ahead, Ash. No, it, it absolutely will come up. And it, the, what they're trying to do is you assume liability for injuries and risks associated inherent with baseball or whatever sport mm -hmm. you're attending. So that's what I was going back to. If it's something not inherent in the game of baseball, all a flying trash can, then that's where the other side would argue it's not the same. And as long as they took reasonable steps to prevent it. So, for example, if some guy uh, brought some giant, heavy, dangerous object into the ballpark and they, they should have been screened but were let in, 
you know, you, you probably could make an argument there that, that the, that the park should have, you know, pr you know, exercised due caution and, and, and not, and prevented it. But if somebody just grabs a trash can and breaks through a net that's designed only to catch baseballs and not heavy trash cans, well, then I, I don't really, there's probably no case. Should all trash cans be bolted down the rest of the season? Only with Dodgers fans around. Before, before Astros games. The breaks on the Dodgers rippy. I think before Astros games, yes. Only in a very specific limited set of circumstances. Uh, bolt the trash cans down. Uh, boy, it's just Dodger hate everywhere here. Where's with Sam and Ash? 702-820-1234. Not Dodger fans. Um, I want to stay with baseball. This was interesting because Ted Cruz has spoken out. We... Marco Rubio went after Rob Manfred, the baseball commissioner, for moving the All-Star game out of Atlanta. Uh, given the Georgia voting law, uh, critics claim is more difficult for individuals now to exercise constitutional, constitutional rights to votes. But the GOP senators are asking why Major League Baseball continues to have kind of carte blanche um, in, in their uh, uh, situation there with antitrust. Bring us through this in terms of what you think could happen given what you've seen with Cruz and Rubio and these guys are saying uh, once the game was moved out of Georgia? I think it's a lot of political hot air. I don't think they're going to move the needle on this. Um, there, okay. is a, is, there is an antitrust exemption, so, mm -hmm. um, and that's a, that's a perk that the, that, uh, M the MLB has that other, um, you know, other companies, other private organizations don't. Uh, but I don't see, I mean, first of all, politically, I don't see this going anywhere. I think the bigger issue in all of this is that can we just agree to let sports be sports and not get it, make it political? I mean, on, on either side of the aisle, I, I think that we all want to go to a ball game and escape politics. Everywhere we go, it's politics all the time. And sports is supposed to be the one thing where we where we go and we enjoy it and we root for our team and it unifies us and our communities. And I'm, I'm just, I, I'm, I'm kind of want everybody to calm down. And I, I think, uh, I think, you know, I, I just, I don't, I really don't like that the MLB waded into a political issue. Um, they should just say, we're here to play sports and we're here to, you know, support our teams and support our communities and, and uh, let the politicians figure the rest out. Can you explain it like I'm five, the antitrust perk the MLB has? Because that's the thing that I have not actually understood in this whole thing. Yeah, Ashley. So <laughs> thanks, guys. Uh, anti <laughs> the MLB has this exemption from antitrust laws, so they get to restrict contracts and like their teams don't move. Like the NFL, NBA, and NHL don't have this exemption, and so that's why teams move from market to market much more frequently mm. than you see Major League Baseball teams. So I don't think that removing this exemption does anything really that hurts the MLB other than that. And it, it could benefit some markets and hurt some markets. But look, the NFL, the NBA, NHL, they're all surviving and thriving without this exemption. So um, it, it's just political posturing and it looks like child's play. It just looks so, so immature. Um, and I just, whenever I read those headlines, I'm like, do something else with your time. Um, mm -hmm. It's like, you did this. No, I'm going to do that. And it's just like, um, well, grow up. <laughs> I mean, it's at some point because of the immunity, because, you know, the NFL is the most powerful league. And how how does this happen? Do they apply for it? Like why back and whenever this first happened that they got the immunity? Why would this happen just for them? How, how do you get this? 
Yeah, I, f I forget. The original court case basically determined that the Major League Baseball was not a business. It was a sport. And so okay. because and that's okay. like and for whatever reason, because it's not a business, it doesn't fall within the antitrust laws. But I don't I don't know the nuances. That's all above my pay grade. Um, but I, and so, yeah, I. I remember, I think the NBA recently relocated an all-star game too or something, but mm -hmm. yeah, they did. Um, and I think it was something much more drastic and I forget what it, I, and I don't recall. And look, if the situation really warrants it, if a, if a state goes absolutely rogue, I agree. You got to move it. You got to, you got to stand up for what your beliefs are. You got to what's right. And, um, and here, I think this is a nuanced issue. Um, I don't think Manfred really knew what the voting laws were about and whether or not they restricted voter access or actually guaranteed that Georgia voters votes counted more because there was less likely of a dilution or other votes that were you know fraudulent or anything like that and so right. i think if you're going to get into these issues you've got to go in very 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 informed and i think that's the biggest problem here is the mlb didn't terrific stuff there follow them on twitter at sam and ash law uh 702-820-1234 because you deserve what's right uh best personal injury attorneys in town when you go on clay next please give him a hard time i think he took like a five-week vacation <laughs> so uh, we don't we don't take vacations on the press box. We're here every day. So when you there'll be a uh, Raider Nation Raider with Clay Baker next, and please give him a hard time for us. We always like to do that. Uh, thanks, guys. We'll talk to you next week. Appreciate thanks, it. Guys. Take care. At Sam and Ash Law on Twitter. Yeah, that's. I'm glad we got to that. I I was with you on that in terms of the immunity. I had no idea how you'd even get that and why they were the only ones with it. Yeah, that was definitely. I, mean, I, I I've read it a couple of times. And I was like, I I don't understand this. This yeah. is something that's beyond my my comprehension as the antitrust and why they have it and other sports leagues don't. Um, all right, coming up next, we're gonna do Bischoff's briefs. But breaking news from Jeff Goodman: Arizona has parted ways with Sean Miller. Oh, oh wait, we can finally hire his brother. <laughs> Bischoff's briefs is next. Bischoff's briefs. We, we take a lot of pride in being very analytical here. Um, we use a lot of statistical data, tendencies. Bischoff's briefs. Got a lot of respect for the percentages of blitz on second and one to six, third and five to ten. Bischoff's briefs. We take analytics as far as we can, but at the end of the day, there's still a lot of human error that I continually make. Bischoff's briefs. I don't believe any of those statistics. I think it's all hot wire. Today we're looking at the Golden Knights inside of Bischoff Briefs, and more specifically, the defensemen on this team and how much they're scoring or not scoring. In the case of Alex Petrangelo, he has two goals this season. That has come in 22 games. So over the course of an 82-game uh, schedule, if they were playing 82 this year, that would have been seven and a half goals. Alex Petrangelo is on pace to have the second-worst goals per game mark of his career. You look at his last four seasons in St. Louis, he scored 14, 15, 13, and 16 goals a season. 
and only one of those seasons did he play over 80 games. Like last year, he only played 70. So his goal production has been dropped dramatically. He also has nine assists, and if you convert that to an 82-game pace, that is 33 assists, which would also be the second-worst mark of his career. Last season in St. Louis, Alex Petrangelo's 82-game pace was 19 goals and 42 assists. This year, it's 7.5 goals and 33 assists. His goal production has been more than cut in half, and even his assists have taken a significant dive. On the flip side, Alec Martinez has scored 7 goals this season in 37 games. Alec Martinez is on pace to score 15.5 goals if it were an 82-game schedule. His career high is 11. So Alec Martinez, if he can get five more goals the rest of the season, that would be a lot. But if he can get five more, he would actually set his career high in goals in a shortened season. If you look at his assist and goal numbers, uh, he's at 22 points already. That is the third highest in his career. He could not pick up another point the rest of the season. And Alec Martinez would already have his third highest career point total uh, for a season. 39 is his career high. He's probably not going to get there, but he's probably a good bet to get to about 30 assists or 30 total points, I should say, on the season. So, Alex Petrangelo, not very good from an offensive standpoint. Alex Martinez, way above expectation. My best theory for why this is is that Alec Martinez plays most of his minutes with Shea Theodore. And we've talked about it a little bit before on this show, but the way the Golden Knights use Shea Theodore is they don't play him against the other team's top line or top pairing. Normally, when Theodore and Martinez are on the ice together, they're playing against the second and third lines of the opponents and the second and third pairings of the opponents. Meanwhile, Alex Petrangelo and Braden McNabb are playing almost exclusively against top lines and top pairs. Obviously, there's been some injuries. They've had to change around who plays against who. More recently, Theodore's played against the top lines than he has in the past. But for the most part, Alec Martinez is playing with one of the better offensive play drivers in hockey in Shea Theodore. Shea Theodore is phenomenal in terms of creating shot attempts for his team. He's playing with one of the better offensive playmakers, and they're playing against lesser competition than Alex Petrangelo. And I think that's part of the reason why we can sit here and say Alec Martinez is better offensively than Alex Petrangelo so far this season. But the problem is that Alex Petrangelo, the reason the Golden Knights brought him in is because he was supposed to be able to produce offense while also shutting down the other team's top line. If they simply wanted a defenseman that was solid and could play big minutes against the other team's top line, They could have held on to Nate Schmidt because that's what they did last year. Nate Schmidt and Braden McNabb played against the other team's top lines, and Nate Schmidt's offense seemed to struggle because of it, and the Golden Knights in the offseason decided, hey, the difference between Nate Schmidt and Alex Petrangelo is worth getting rid of Paul Stasny for. Like, that's the decision they made this offseason. And because Alex Petrangelo is supposed to be able to do everything he's supposed to be the defenseman that produces a lot of points while also shutting down the other team's top line but we have not seen him do that for the golden knights they've done a pretty good job defensively throughout the year of limiting the other team's chances 
but it's come at the expense of them actually being able to score with Alex Petrangelo on the ice. And that's sort of the issue when you look at how the Golden Knights offseason went. We're talking about the trade deadline and do they need another center. If they never sign Petrangelo and they just hold on to Nate Schmidt, they still have Paul Stasny. They don't need another center. They're good to go. But because they decided Petrangelo was that much better than Nate Schmidt, they don't have that third-line center that you trust. And we're looking around saying, has Petrangelo actually been an upgrade over Nate Schmidt? And maybe he has, but it's not very big. It's not the difference in having Paul Stasny and not having Paul Stasny. Well, uh, do you think, and this is you know maybe unfair in terms of uh, guessing because he has had the injury, at 31, have we seen the best of Alec Petrangelo? I mean, it's probably fair to ask. Uh, I think most people still assume Alex Petrangelo is one of the five best defensemen in hockey. Um, that is based on the last few years, though, and not really this season. Um, I do, you know, we talked to Ryan earlier in the week, and he said it's, it's you know, give him time to acclimate. And that, okay, that's fine. Like, we, we can give him time before we expect him to be the best defenseman in hockey again. But... At the end of the day, if you're going to be the best defenseman in hockey or supposed to be the best defenseman in hockey, like we got to see it at some point. And if it, listen, if the problem in year one of this contract, what did he sign for eight years? If, the, if there's a problem, yeah, that's the thing. In year he's one, 31 and he signed for eight years. Right. If the problem is happening in year one, that's massive for the Golden Knights because all th- this contract, I think it, w- it was sort of widely assumed that, okay. You're signing him for eight years. He's going to be, whatever, 37, 38 when that contract right. comes to an end. The last three years of that deal, probably not going to be great for the Golden Knights. But you're going for the Stanley Cup now. If you get a right, Stanley right. Cup in the first four or five years then of the contract, yeah. then, yeah, then yeah. You're, you're, who yeah. cares if the contract right. is bad eight years from now? But if we're talking in year one, if that's an issue in year one, then this is going to be a horrific contract. For the Golden Knights. Now, again, he still hasn't been a bad player. He's been a a positive for the team. They are still very good defensively when he's on the ice. And he allows Shea Theodore to almost never have to play against the other team's best lines, which carries value because Theodore can rack up points and they can score when Theodore's on the ice. But you had that with Nate Schmidt, too. Nate Schmidt could have given you close to this production without having to get rid of Paul Stasny in the offseason. Let me ask you this, because you've often said hockey is a dumb sport. Uh, when you bring someone in who Pete DeBoer continues to say is a world-class defenseman, and you're saying everyone probably still agrees that he's a top-five defenseman in the league, I don't know how much he has to acclimate himself should be held water there. If you're one of the top five in what you do, so let me ask you this, and you're a world-class player, compare that to football baseball, basketball, in terms of in hockey, how long should it really have the, this guy need to acclimate himself? Shouldn't he come in and say, I'm top five in the world? Like if, if, if you know, if Russell Wilson gets traded or, you know, Aaron Rodgers gets traded, the expectation still is you need to be really good because that's who you are. Does that translate to hockey or are you on the side that, yeah, you should give him a year to somehow, you know, acclimate to Vegas? Uh, not a year. I, I think it's fair to give him time to, okay, you're playing for a new team before you're you're being a you know world dominator again. But I mean he's he's played twenty two games for the team. Like we're we're right. not in the first week of the season anymore. And I know right. he just came back from injury, but I know he, he played twenty games and we didn't we didn't see it. Like we that was that's been the thing we've talked about with Alex Prangelo is when have we really noticed him like as a dominant force like he's the what second highest paid player on the team like 
when have we noticed him as the second best player in any game this season? And and we haven't. Like that's just no, that hasn't no. been something that we've noticed in the past. And this year, there's been plenty of times where we've noticed Shea Theodore is really good. Mm-hmm. Where we've been mm-hmm. like, oh wow, Shea Theodore was dominant in that game. That that hasn't happened with Alex Petrangelo. Hey, and there's been some that, games where Zach Whitecloud was really good. Yeah, and it's it's supposed to. I mean, it's it's supposed to happen with him at some point, and it really hasn't this season. And it's that that to me is the big concern. And like, even if you just take like Alex Petrangelo's like expected goals this season, mm-hmm. if you adjust it per minute played, he's seventeenth on the team this year. Like yeah. he's ahead of Nick Holden and Nick Hague and Dylan Coglin, Zach Whitecloud, and Braden McNabb. Like and that's Robin it. Leonard. Like, it, like yeah, like that's it. Like everybody else on this team is producing at a much higher rate than he is, even just like chances and stuff, not even goals and points. So it's it's not great. All right, coming up next, we might jump back into Sean Miller leaving Arizona. Here it comes, and Correa lines this one out to right center field, and that ball is gone! Just over the yellow line! A go-ahead two-run home run for Correa, and the Astros are on top, 4-2! to two. Caratini batting left-handed, swings at the first pitch, hits it in the air, deep down the right field line, towards the pole, gonna go! A two-run homer for Victor Caratini! Just call him clutch! Padres with their first lead of the night, 3-1! to one. And it hit Contreras. And now Contreras pointing out at Brad Boxberger. I have no idea what that is all about. And now Contreras starts to point at the Brewers' dugout. And now the dugouts start to spill. The bullpens start to spill. Baez is trying to be peacekeeper here. Everybody out of their respected dugouts and bullpens. You're sitting in the press box with Graney and Bischoff on ESPN Las Vegas. Follow them on Twitter at Ed Graney and Bischoff underscore Tyler. Best team in baseball picked up a ninth inning win yesterday. They're 5-1 and one on the season. By the way, I have a question here because you just heard it there with Contreras getting hit by Boxberger and the announcer being confused as to why Contreras would be staring at Boxberger. Why do so many batters think they got hit on purpose? I, I don't know. I mean, especially in instances of what the game is at, what inning, what the yeah. story. I don't. I have no idea. Now, there's, I guess, a certain instances if there's history between guys, but other than that, it's like you know, saw Muncy get hit last night. He just went to first base because like you're down. Why would you be hitting a guy? That doesn't make any sense. Okay, well, except you're, you're up by four. Why are you hitting a guy? Like that's well, probably the part where you get mad. Like why are you hitting me? Well, like because the the one that I was watching was uh, Monday night. Shohei Otani got hit with a two-strike slice yes. and yes. stared the pitcher down on his way to yes. first. This is in the eighth inning. There were runners on first and second with nobody out, and the Astros yes. were up two. And it's like, yes. they didn't hit you on purpose. They just put the go-ahead run on first base on a two-strike pitch. Yes. Like, I don't understand. Like, I, I, maybe they're just mad because they got hit and it hurts and they want to stare the pitcher down. But I feel like we're like, seven days into the season and it seems like everybody that gets hit is mad that the pitcher hit him on purpose and it's like no he just kind of sucks and he hit you on accident i don't know i just i feel like that's happened there, a lot already. there is a, I mean, a guy, go ahead Ed. i mean a guy goes deep and walks around the bases all right next time up see you know you're getting it if it's not like that then i, I just take your base I, I, who who would want to put someone on it makes no sense 
Yeah, it's actively hurting yourself. Now, if you're losing by seven and you really hate the guy that's up to bat, yeah, go ahead and sure. plunk him in the back and <laughs> get, charge the mound and give us something to talk about. Um, by the way, mentioned it there before Bischoff's briefs, but Sean Miller fired at Arizona. Uh, he had one year left on his contract, but this is... Is it weird that we've sort of been, what, like two years now? Kind of like, oh, when are they going to fire him? And now they actually have done it? Like, what What did Arizona... Well, what news did Arizona get? What did Arizona find in the last couple of days that decided, we've got to do this now? Well, the AD finally returned the voicemail from the feds. Uh, <laughs> and they said, "Have you, you, you know you've gotten... You know you should have gotten rid of him by now. We might be paying a visit. So, uh... Yeah, he goes. Oh man, I, I, you know, I get. I'm an AD. I get a lot of voicemails. I'm sorry. I'm just getting back to you guys. What's going on? Why would you be calling me? Well, you've got this coach who's been embroiled in this federal investigation now for three or four years. It might be time to move on from him. I. This is weird because it's what? What is it? We're at April seventh, and jobs, you know, are being filled, and they've just now come to the conclusion that maybe we need to move on from the guy. Right. It's I mean, strange. <laughs> I like. Like if you're Arizona, like again to go to go back to Iowa State, their athletic director like fires their head coach and puts out a statement saying this is going to be a quick search because the yeah. nature of college basketball means we've got to have a coach in here now to re-recruit the current roster, the current recruits, and get in the transfer portal. That was like three weeks ago that Iowa yeah. State was saying we've got to have a coach very quickly. It's April seventh, and Arizona's deciding they need to get rid of Sean Miller. Like, what? Why? Why? What, well, what were you waiting for? I mean, in all joking aside, do you? I mean, it might have something to do with that because they're, they're, the investigation is still completely open. I don't know if they're getting a tip. I don't know if someone's saying something's coming down. It, that would make more sense than anything. That you know, they finally got the calls. Like, like you need to move on from him. Something's coming down. Like, and in the next week, if that would happen, you're like, oh, okay, I understand why they fired him now. But if nothing happens and they just hire someone else, it's like, what did you wait for? Why, why wasn't this done before? And now you're, like you said, you're messing up the next year because you know guys are now going to go in the portal if they haven't already once he leaves. So. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. Maybe they know something we don't, and it was probably the smart thing to get rid of them. Is this is this the season that has had the most good jobs come open? Ooh. Because you now oh, have yeah. Arizona's open, Indiana was open, North Carolina, Texas. Texas. Like, those are four schools. Like You can legitimately win a national title at that school. And then Oklahoma, Texas Tech, Marquette have all come open as well. And Texas Tech. UNLV. Yeah, UNLV. Texas Tech just played in the national championship. Like, it wouldn't be crazy if Oklahoma, Texas Tech, or Marquette to see those teams in the Final Four. Like, you're, we're talking about, like, seven yeah. programs that it's like, yeah, if you hire the right guy, you can go to the Final Four. I, I feel like that's that's a bizarre amount of good jobs that have come open. Well, and let me ask you this. We weren't able to get this in the front page, but I wanted to ask you this. We've now seen head coaches from two schools uh, leave head jobs. Rodney Perry at Utah left for Texas. Uh, Barrett Perry left Portland State for Texas Tech. I almost wonder now when these guys do this, and I think Rodney Terry is probably going to take a cut and pay. I would imagine Brent per Barrett Perry is going to get more money at Texas Tech. Is it because, Tyler, they think they have a better job or better chance at P5 jobs if you go to a big time school and like go to a Final Four than just staying at a bad school and probably never being good enough? I mean, listen, the way North Carolina and Texas Tech hired their replacements. Yeah, yeah. You just hire yeah. the assistant coach if things yeah. go well. So Rodney Terry's sitting there saying, "Listen, thirty. Yeah. When Chris Beard takes this Arizona job, I'm going to get <laughs> elevated to head coach." 
So <laughs> you imagine that? <laughs> It'd be great. It'd be phenomenal if Chris Beard took the Arizona job. So oh, be best. yeah, I'm I, home. I mean, <laughs> so it's it is interesting. It's almost you've you've had two coaches say they'd rather be an assistant at a at a big job yeah. than a head coach at a small job, and. I don't know, less pressure, a little less pay. Maybe it is a better job. Maybe it's just simply a better life to have those jobs. Arizona has regents. <laughs>